Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. It's again the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 11. And before we read this passage, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, such a privilege and honor to uh, sit under your word proclaimed to our hearts and minds. Uh, We elevate your word because it is inherent in the part and in the whole, and you have invested your word with power in both judgment and salvation. So we ask for your mercy at this moment as heirs of salvation in Christ Jesus. We ask for the work of the Holy Spirit to uh, drive us to obeying what you have uh, outlined for us uh, this evening through your word. For it is in Christ's name we pray, amen. This is God's very own authoritative and inerrant word. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that brother goes to law against brother and that, be, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not, why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, uh, Paul expresses uh, his consternation uh, concerning grievances that had arisen in the church in Corinth. And notice that Paul expresses his consternation through a a rapid series of questions. Verse 2, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? Verse 4, Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? And in verse 5, will brother go 
Sorry, can it be that there is no, no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? Paul characterizes these grievances as trivial cases in verse 2, as a dispute between brothers in verse 5, and as lawsuits in verse 7. And uh, today we live in a highly, highly litigious society. Uh, we, we have become a nation easily prone to go to law to settle even uh, very uh, trivial, uh, trivially minor disputes. So the obvious uh, indication in this passage is that the, these grievances in view were of a civil uh, nature. So this takes us to Paul's uh, first main point. Paul denounces the practice of Christians outsourcing conflict resolution regarding civil matters, that is, non-criminal matters, to the secular court system. And we'll be observing verses 1 to 6. Notice that Paul stresses the fact that the secular uh, civil courts are the wrong venue for lit- litigating disputes among God's people. Notice in verse 4. Why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? Those outside of the church have no standing to resolve conflicts that arise among God's people. And again, he says in verse 5, I say this uh, to your shame. Can it be that there is no, no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute? between the brothers, you see, intimating that we we belong to God's uh, family and those outside of God's family do not have standing to adjudicate differences that may arise within the body of Christ. Just as it is shameful to file a formal complaint against a family member, it is similarly egregious to take a brother or sister in Christ to civil court. Again, he says, can you not find someone wise among you? Are you not able? Are you not able to even find someone to settle this dispute among yourselves? See, it was typical in the first century that uh, lawsuits were to be uh, uh, done in public, you see, it's not unlike our own uh, day where uh, some of uh, uh, civil cases uh, wind up on Judge Judy and other uh, shows like Judge Judy. And he is saying, do not take these cases to Judge Judy. Do not make it public, you see. I remember in Philadelphia, we, uh, um, at the time, my wife uh, owned uh, a property and she had rented it out and they were not believers, and um, apparently they uh, took us uh, to court. <laughs> and when we went to court, I hear I'm thinking we're going to be alone with the judge, <laughs> but there was a, a room of people there waiting their turn. And I was like, wow, this is pretty public. You see, this is very uh, public, you see. And, and Paul, the Apostle Paul says, avoid uh, that, and, he, and I will mention why in a few moments. And he says to them, basically, uh, you, you, um, 
you are, um, because you have not uh, done this, because you have not, uh, because you have outsourced, rather, uh, these disputes to the civil and secular courts, um, you are incompetent, you see. There's no one wise among you, and therefore you are incompetent. It's been such a great blessing to have seen many people come to faith in Christ since our arrival last year, and, and we have witnessed covenant children come to the Lord's table, and a, a few adults who, uh, who have made a credible profession of faith. And uh, perhaps this may be a new topic uh, for you. And the challenge of this text calls you uh, to this. If you find yourselves in this predicament in, in, the, in the future, or if you are currently finding yourselves in this uh, predicament, uh, having to confront your brother or sister because of a dispute uh, with legal implications. Uh, the challenge is, are you committed to resolve this conflict in the biblical venue of the church? Are you committed to resolve this conflict in the biblical venue of the church? You may say, ah, this, this will never happen uh, to me. But I doubt that even Paul was that certain. I doubt that even Paul was that certain. And the sad fact of the matter is that the church in Corinth found themselves in this predicament. And he had to tell them, you are unwise and you are incompetent. You see, we do not have the freedom to take another believer to court. And this leads us to the second main point. What was the underlying problem? What was the sin, in other words? What was the sin beneath uh, the sin? The second reason is that uh, this, the reason why Paul denounces the practice of Christians outsourcing conflict resolution regarding civil matters to civil courts was that it was not being resolved in a gospel-centered, or in other words, grace-centered manner. Simply their conduct, their behavior was not in keeping with the gospel. Let's take a look at the first part of verse 7. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. So how are we to understand uh, this verse? Are we to understand Paul as saying, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that you have a dispute means that you already have been defeated. Is he saying it's, uh, that it's already a lost cause for you by the mere fact that there exists a conflict? But see, Paul already answered that for us uh, in verse 1, where it begins, when one of you has a grievance, he is presupposing that conflicts will arise within the church. When one of you has a grievance against another. So it's not a matter of, of, of if, but it is a matter of when. Paul presumes that this may, in fact, be inevitable in the life of the church. It will happen. So how, we sh how should we understand Paul in this verse? Notice that the ESV uses the term lawsuits here. And in the Greek, it is the word krimata, krimata. And it is not a generic term for disputes, as in the previous verses. It uses a, a, a words for disputes or conflict in, in general terms. But in this particular verse, it is using a technical term, um, which refers to a legal complaint. It refers to a, a formal legal complaint already initiated and filed with the secular courts. 
And, he is, and that's why the ESV uses the word lawsuits here. And he's saying you, you, you have already filed formally a complaint. You see? And he describes them as being defeated. This is a lost cause already for you. As a believer, you may own some real estate property and you, you plan to rent it out to a fellow believer. What happens? Uh, eventually, uh, it comes a time that they may have to move out for whatever reason and, and you do a walkthrough with this fellow uh, believer. And, um, and what you find in this walkthrough is a, uh, simply not the usual wear and tear that occurs, but, but significant, significant damage. You find holes in a wall. And, and, and repairs uh, uh, that are costly. Or you may perhaps have called a, a fellow brother or sister in the Lord to do some electrical work or plumbing. And, and perhaps this electrician, uh, a fellow believer who's an electrician, he's uh, inadvertently damages your circuit breaker box and, or, or damage uh, an expensive appliance. And you find yourself in a potentially legal quandary here. So in the same verse, he says here, you, you, the reason why you're going to court the reason why you're outsourcing conflict resolution in these civil matters is that you're not living a gospel-centered life. Notice the second part of that verse 7. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? See? See, the secular civil uh, court system... Um, in, in other words, sorry, in other words, Paul is saying, why, why not suffer the, the indignity of the injustice? Why not suffer the indignity of the injustice? And, and, and the secular uh, civil court system is, is really adversarial at heart, you see. Um, it is, it's, it's about winning, you see. It is about winning, it is about uh, losing. And, and Paul wants... The, the church not to live according to that particular principle. In fact, he is calling them to live gospel-centered lives, to suffer the indignity of injustice is a gospel theme throughout the New Testament. We preserve the spirit of the gospel in recognizing that Christ was falsely accused throughout his life. And he was wrongly tried for blasphemy and the ultimate act of injustice when sinners, both Jews and Roman leaders, took hold of him and unjustly sentenced him to the shame of the cross. And this is the gospel paradigm Paul is working with here. He does not disconnect the gospel of Christ from Christian living. Holiness and grace are not antithetical to Paul. The Corinthian church is a perf perfect example of a believing Christian community losing its focus on the gospel and its central role in shaping our thoughts on this topic, shaping our affections, and shaping our wills. The central role the gospel has in shaping our daily life. 
and it does not matter who was right, who was wrong. See, and in this passage, Paul doesn't get to that. He's just saying, you're not right, who's wrong, who's right? He goes, no, you guys are all wrong. There's no leadership here. Leadership is incompetent. It has allowed these cases to enter the civil magistrates, see? And Paul says, we do not have the freedom to choose winning in court against preserving and upholding Christian unity without that being a a compromise to the bond of the gospel. The gospel is about the building and the unification of God's people. It is the the bond that ties all of us together in unity. There's a commentator that has stated that when Christians take their disputes out of the church and publicly air them in the secular courts, they end up denigrating Christ's name. They end up denigrating his wisdom, and they end up denigrating his power before the world. Calvin puts it in this way, that by bringing their disputes before the tribunals of the wicked, they, by this means made the gospel contemptible and exposed it to derision. Let's amplify Calvin's comment by putting more flesh to that. By taking our disputes before the ungodly, we publicly witness or publicly give witness that there is a supreme mediator other than Christ. That there is a supreme reconciler other than Christ. And this is not to say that this was their intention in the church of Corinth, that, that that's what uh, that was in their heart, but that's the effect of their behavior. By taking this to an unredeemed world, we're saying to the world that we do not have a supreme reconciler among us. We betray the truth of Christ as mediator and reconciler between God and us and between our fellow believers, you see. We're not only at enmity with God in our sinful nature, but if it weren't for God's goodness and his providence, we would see more and more of the enmity that we have for one another truly without his goodness. And as believers, apart from God's grace, we will see the true enmity that we have for one another. But in Christ, he reconciles believers from different walks of life, different social class, you see? And he unites them because of his life and death on the cross. So we may have to take a hit for the sake of the gospel is what Paul is saying. Why not be defrauded? Why not suffer the wrong? Yes, I know it's painful. But if we need to choose between the two, between taking it to the civil magistrates or taking a hit for the sake of the gospel, we need to take a hit for the sake of the gospel. I say this because... I have known uh, instances, examples uh, in my own uh, life where 
Um, it, it, this applies to all the church. It, it applies to church officers. It uh, applies to uh, members of the congregation. And I can recall a particular instance where a particular uh, member who took a, a serious fall within the church. Let's see. And she, uh, uh, the person who took the fall wanted to um, settle uh, this matter in, in good faith because she had been hospitalized and she had um, uh, fell into financial hardship because of that. But it's sad to say that in this case, the church officers did not respond in good faith. They did not respond and live according to the truth of the gospel. They did not focus on a gospel-centered life. And they found someone in the congregation when they went to before the civil magistrate because the, the, the person uh, really didn't know the scriptures that well either. Took the church to court. But the church found somebody in the church to say, no, she, she never fell in the, in the church. This thing, these things happen. These things happen in the evangelical community. But Paul says, listen, even when faced, even when faced with an incompetent leadership, you may have to take one for the sake of the gospel. In conclusion, we dishonor Christ and his gospel. We bring Christ and his gospel into dis disrepute when we take matters before the civil magistrates that ought to be handled within the church itself. Paul says, do you not know? This is a ubiquitous question throughout his epistles, in particular in the epistle to the church in Corinth. Do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the blessings of the kingdom of God? And you're taking church matters before an unbelieving world. You see, do you not know that they will not inherit the blessings of the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexualities, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You see. And he reminds them, and such were some of you. You see, this was your, your lifestyle. This was your pattern of life. And you have been delivered from all of these filthy things. You have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Herman Ritterboss had made this statement that for the sake of the kingdom... Jesus wants his disciples to give up their rights, interests, benefits, and safeguards. This is not saying that the kingdom of God consists of in having no property or in the absence of rights, but it means that God's kingdom represents something higher than a hierarchy of human values and interests, and that the righteousness of the kingdom teaches us to subject everything to this. See? There are three, uh, one noted uh, commentator in speaking 
about the last verse, and, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Uh, noted that these three verbs underscore the transformation that the gospel brings to our lives. The Corinthians were washed, they were sanctified and justified. And each uh, is preceded in the Greek by the strong uh, uh, word, but, the strong adversative, but. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified. And it is used to stress the transformation that uh, God has effected in our lives through the gospel. First, they have been cleansed from the filth of the types of sin listed in verse 10. The Corinthians are clean before God. Since the washing is only one part of Paul's threefold description of their conversion, the, re the reference is primarily to spiritual transformation and only by implication to baptism, which signifies it. Secondly, they have been sanctified. That is to say, they have been set apart, separated unto a godly lifestyle having received the holy status before God in Christ. The Corinthians are holy. They belong to God. And we belong to this family of God, to this kingdom of God. And thirdly, they have been justified. They have been declared not guilty before the bar of God's justice. In spite of their many vices, they have been set in right relation to God. That is to say that the Corinthians stand vindicated by God. And notice, you were justified in the name, all these things, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We notice that there is a Trinitarian aspect to salvation here. That the Father sends the mediator, the great reconciler, and in all these things, in his name, we are washed, we are sanctified, we are justified. And also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, as he applies the gospel to our hearts and to our lives. You see. So Paul here ends on this particular note, in this first half of this uh, uh, chapter section, you see. We do not have the freedom to take a fellow believer to a civil court. But the freedom that we do have is to focus on gospel-centered lives. And the people of God said, Amen.